Hello, everybody. I'm Paul Menzel. And I'm Jim Conlon. And we're the Old Dogs. In this episode, the Old Dogs ramble about rock concerts. Are they still good for Golden Agers? We reassure senior snoozers that napping is good for you. We tell the shocking story of tourists caught stealing sand. We explore the strange phenomenon of transient global amnesia. We investigate the daring theft of a solid gold toilet. And we finally prove the wisdom of the five-second rule. In the Old Dogs interview, we talk with Michelle Watkins, who has plenty to say about today's retirement living options. Stay with us. Paul? Yes? <laughs> Were you checking to see if I was awake, Jim, or what? All right. What's on your mind today, Paul? I'll tell you what's on my mind is I had a great experience over the weekend. Oh, yeah? I went to the Eric Clapton's Crossroads Guitar Festival. Wow. Which was an amazing lineup of gifted guitar players. Really? It it was a mixture of older performers Mm -hmm. and younger performers. But let me give you a list of the older performers. Bonnie Raitt, Bill Gibbons from ZZ Top, um, Jeff Beck, Mm -hmm. Jimmy Vaughn, um, Peter Frampton was there, Cheryl Crow. So there, there was a, a large number of acts that um, that I have been a fan of for years. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, in my mind, I had some anxiety that I was going to be the oldest person there. And well, that's very well justified in your case, Paul. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Well, I might have looked like the oldest person <laughs> there. So anyway, I, I, I was just playing that in my mind, and, that, and mm-hmm. that brought up a thought, and maybe you've experienced this too, Jim, of... Being reluctant to go to some situations where you thought you might be too old and would, like a Taylor Swift concert, for example. Well, yeah, um, I really enjoy listening to Taylor Swift, but I can't imagine going to a Taylor Swift concert. I know that I wouldn't fit in. Well, the natural question is, is that true or is that something we're making up in our mind? Are we, as seniors depriving ourselves of some entertainment because we have anxiety about being the oldest person in the room. Um, Maybe. Uh, My anxiety is more about crowds than it is about being the oldest person, but I get what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, But, for example, uh, my wife and I went to the James Taylor concert a couple of years back uh, and enjoyed it tremendously. Uh, And there was a big crowd there. It was a big auditorium. Uh, so that wasn't a problem, and I certainly didn't feel that it was not age-appropriate for me. I felt like we fit in. Well, and that's a good point. If the entertainer in question is about our age, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a good bet that most of the people in the audience will be about our age. Yeah. So I, I guess maybe that's more an issue of younger artists um, or maybe experiences that are definitely out of our age range, or at least we're thinking that, like uh, a petting zoo, for example. <laughs> so I'm taking away from this that you uh, experienced something new, uh, that your apprehensions were uh, allayed somehow, and that you're looking forward to the next opportunity. Yeah, and, and I think it's maybe I've expanded my choices. Uh-huh. So if there were a rock group called Petting Zoo, would you go? Oh, of course. All right. If they were good. 
You know, the old dogs like to share health tips that are painless, right? Well, here's one that may actually put you to sleep. This item is from the Washington Post for September 21st, 2019. According to some new research, people who took a nap once or twice a week were 48% less likely to have cardiovascular problems than people who didn't nap. How long people napped each time or how often they napped did not improve the results. Oh, but it didn't do any harm either. So what is the best way to nap? Sleep experts generally agree that a 20-minute nap is all you need to feel refreshed. Napping longer can leave someone feeling groggy. Also, napping late in the day can interfere with your normal sleep. Getting enough sleep can be an issue for folks our age. The recommended amount of sleep is 8 to 9 hours if you're over 60 years of age. If sleep is an issue for you, try to fit in a nap during the day. As that great philosopher Steven Tyler says... Dream on, dream on, dream on. You're not serious, are you? Wasn't a good impression? Uh, needs work. When most people end a day at the beach, they try to leave the sand behind. But not a couple from France. This pod nugget is from the New York Daily News for August 19th, 2019. The couple was arrested trying to take home 90 pounds of beach sand after a vacation in Sardinia. Is that right? 90 pounds? They filled 14 large plastic bottles with sand and put them in the trunk of their car. They were caught boarding a ferry back to France. See, it's illegal to take things like sand, pebbles, and shells from Sardinia's beaches. Who knew? It's unclear if this was just a supersized souvenir or if they intended to sell the sand on the Internet. The couple now faces fines and up to six years in prison. You know, this turned out to be a rather expensive vacation. Oh, well, Jim, life's a beach. I confess the following pod nugget is toilet humor. Oh, no. Yeah. It's come to that. It has come to that. And this uh, nugget comes to us from iHeartRadio, dated September 15th, 2019. A solid gold toilet worth more than $6 million was stolen from a palace in the United Kingdom. The toilet was actually a work of art by Maurizio Catalan that he titled America. It was part of an art exhibit set up in Blenheim Palace called Victory is Not an Option. You can assign whatever political meaning you like to the exhibit, but this art object was truly unique. The toilet was made entirely of 18-karat gold and was fully functional. Now, the artist wanted visitors to use the fancy plumbing as their needs dictated. They could book the facilities in three-minute increments. Uh, In retrospect, this seems like a short amount of time to do anything worth doing. Well, those plans are now flushed down the drain. Within two (laughs) days of the exhibit opening, the gold commode was stolen. Since the gold throne was plumbed into the building, ripping it out caused a great deal of damage and flooding, plus disappointing hundreds of visitors who hoped to sit on a fortune for a few minutes. (laughs) As we get older, it's normal to have memory lapses. But how about a memory lapse that lasts for hours and then goes away? This item is from the New York Times for September 16th, 2019. Transient global amnesia, called TGA for short, is a temporary lapse in memory that can never be retrieved. 
Those who experience it are not aware of any alteration in consciousness, but for a period of time, they can't lay down new memories. All other parts of the brain are functioning normally. TGA is relatively rare. It only affects about five in a hundred thousand people, with men and women affected equally. Most victims of TGA are over the age of 50. Since its causes are unknown, there is no treatment. You just have to wait it out, and chances are that it will never happen again. It's like for a short period of time, the brain goes on vacation. You know, I experienced this weird event about 20 years ago. No kidding. I left home to record a radio commercial, and I have no memory of the next two hours. During that time, I called my agent to get directions to the recording studio when I knew well how to get there. I then drove to the studio and recorded a radio commercial. No one was aware of my behaving differently during the session. The next thing I remember is sitting in my car in the parking lot of the studio. Confused about where I was, I was taken to a hospital, poked and prodded for a few hours until a neurologist diagnosed TGA and sent me home. All right, if you're thinking about using TGA as an excuse for forgetting something like date night, forget about it. Remember, you can only use it once, so save it for something big like a missed anniversary or something. Now, Paul, what makes you think you actually did go to the studio? What evidence do we have? I have none, but that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. If you are or have been a parent, you might be familiar with the five-second rule: food that falls on the floor and is quickly retrieved is still safe to eat. Now, this article is from the New York Times archives for September nineteenth, twenty sixteen. A food microbiologist at Rutgers University. Thought the five-second rule was worth investigating with a two-year study. Four different foods were involved: cut watermelon, bread, bread with butter, and strawberry gummy candy. The foods. <laughs> this is serious. The foods were dropped on four different surfaces: stainless steel, ceramic tile, wood, and carpet. And each surface was treated with the same bacteria. 128 different combinations of food surface and time were repeated 20 times each. Yeah, you, this is serious, isn't it? Yes. And the results: the five-second rule has some validity, since the longer the food sat on the surface, the more bacteria was transferred. As for the surfaces, carpet had the lowest transmission of bacteria, and stainless and tile the highest. As for food. Watermelon had the highest rate of transmission, and the gummy candy, oddly enough, was the lowest. Honestly, these findings are unlikely to change behavior. If you are still alive and haven't experienced frequent bouts of food poisoning, you will continue to utilize the five-second rule. Although it wouldn't hurt to cut your retrieval time down to say three seconds. Do we have too much fun with it, or is it? Uh, no. <laughs> Our old dog's interview for this episode is with Michelle Watkins. For many years, Michelle was a performer on stage, in film, and on TV. But her decision to abandon acting led serendipitously to a second career as a marketing specialist for retirement living. In part one of a two-part series, Michelle talks about her earlier life, then describes how retirement living has changed in the past twenty years. What Michelle has to say just might have a profound effect on the decisions we make for our own future. To get started, you are a person that had a radical career change. I would say, 
Uh, why don't you tell us about your early life as an actress? Well, I started acting when I was seven years old. I may have seen you in something here. when you were seven. Where? <laughs> yes, I don't know. I worked with Chris Wilson here in town, a theater she called Studio 7. And um, I worked there for a while, and then I started doing some work at uh, Theater Under the Stars. Then when I graduated from college, I kind of gave up performing for a while because I majored in sorority, so that took a lot of my time. But then when I came back, after majoring in sorority, my dad took me out of school and said, I think you've learned enough, and it's time to come home now. So I came back to Houston and um, got a real job, but then dove back into my acting, and I... Um, was part of the founding acting company um, at Stages when they started down on Franklin and Louisiana. And then I think that's how I came to come and work for you at the Comedy Workshop is someone saw me in the production at Stages. And then, like you, I was also in Terms of Endearment. So um, I got my SAG card and moved to L.A., spent 13 years in L.A. working mostly uh, commercials, uh, sitcoms, voiceovers, things like that. And then I realized the joy kind of left when I was not performing for live audiences anymore. And I decided, you know, I'm done here now. Next. And so I left there and had no clue what I was going to do. Just kind of threw my life up to the universe and moved to Arizona. Worked for a builder there in Arizona for a while and then got into the industry of retirement living and found but I had a real passion for it. So I'm, I'm just thrilled at the course I've taken. Tell me, what, why did you throw a dart at a map, or how did you end up in Arizona from Los Angeles? <laughs> well, both my parents grew up in Arizona, so I was familiar with Arizona. My mom and my brother were both living there at the time. And so I decided, you know, it's not all the way back in Houston, and it would be, um, you know, a nice change. So I actually moved up to northern Arizona, to Prescott, Arizona, which is just beautiful. And, um, you know, it was a nice way to decompress from 13 years in Los Angeles. Then what prompted you to move back to Houston? Well, you know what? Here's what's funny is that a lot of times when uh, your life is supposed to make a change and you're, you're just like too thick to realize it, the universe will just yank the rug right out from underneath you. So when I was 50 years old, living in Prescott, Arizona, I got fired for the first time in my life. And, you know, that was like in 2012, I guess, when people in their 50s were getting fired and never again going to be able to work, you know. So I was just frantic to find a job. And so I started throwing my resume against the virtual wall of the internet, just trying to you know, find retirement communities that, that needed someone and um, ends up, as luck would have it, back to Houston and work with a nonprofit that's been here for 56 years. And it was just a really great opportunity. Well, that brings us up to uh, what we really wanted to talk to you about in the first place, and that is get your expert opinion on retirement living. And, uh, you know, we have uh, most of our listeners are probably making that decision right now, whether they want to uh, stay in their home, whether they want to look for retirement community. And uh, I'll tell you, just for that purpose, can you just sort of give us a, a large definition of retirement living? Well, you know, I, I, every retirement community out there is different from the next. So it's hard to 
lump them together. But, you know, typically, like you said, people either think they're going to age in place in their family home and make the adaptations that need to happen to make that possible. Um, or sometimes they think they'll downsize and go into a condo kind of environment to get away from having home ownership responsibilities. But the idea of living in a retirement community, I think, um, gives people something that you don't really get if you stay in your home or if you go to a condo. And that's the idea of socialization. It's like going back to college almost. It's very cool, you know, because you have people that are of the same generation. You have things in common with them. You like similar things. And that kind of engagement is so accessible. You know, you don't have to seek it out. You don't have to schedule stuff uh, on your own or make arrangements for groups of friends to go to the theater or whatever. It's already arranged for you and you just have to partake. So, um, and it's interesting because there's a talk on Ted talks by a um, psychologist whose name is Susan Pinker and her and her team did this big study where they went, um, I think to Italy to a, a town in Italy that had the most people over a hundred years old of anywhere in the world. And they spent time there studying the lifestyle to find out why that was. And what they come to find is that, you know, it's not just the nutrition or the fish oil or the red wine or anything like that. More than anything, it's the socialization that's available to them. So they came out with a, a graph that shows the things that are important to successful aging. And socialization is more important than quitting smoking. Kind of shocking. Really? Um, and yet these people in this town in Italy, they don't live in a retirement community, right? They live in a community that consists of a wide variety of people, correct? Right, right. Okay. And it's all, you know, it's like they never leave there. It's all just very close and tight, and people are very closely connected. So I think the difference is what we experience now in the way neighborhoods are, and even condominiums, you know, people have become very insular you know they come home from work and they go into their house they close their garage door and you don't see them mm. until they leave for work in the mornings you know or you don't you know even in a condo environment people don't really engage the same way they used to in neighborhoods but yet in this little town in italy they were still very much doing that that's what i think is so special just between you and me about this community here is the different generations of people that live here allows people that are 100 to engage with people who are in their 60s, and, and that's enjoyable for them. You know, they, they enjoy that kind of uh, intergenerational mix, you know. Isn't there also uh, an aspect where um, seniors tend to keep to themselves? You know, they've, they've uh, run through the friendships that they had with their children's parents and work friendships, mm-hmm. and, and so they have a challenge finding new friends, and uh, uh, it sounds like a retirement community would be ideal for that, forming new friendships. I think it is, and I think that you you have to really pick it carefully, though, because, you know, since I've been in the industry for a while, and I've worked in different kinds of communities, some of them are very clicky, like high school. You know, it's like it's hard to meet new people because they already have their click together. They won't let you sit with them at dinner and all these kinds of childish things, right? But if you find a community that's open and very hospitable and warm and the people who live there are 
you know, eager to engage with one another and meet new people, then you found something where it'll be easy to make new friends. And yeah, I, I've talked to a ton of seniors that, you know, as they live in their family home, their friendships really diminish because, you know, families grow and separate and move away and new people move in and they don't have as much in common with them. And like you said, friends pass away and they don't have new friends to replace them. And so it's uh, it's difficult to keep those kinds of um, social stimulations going sometimes. So it sounds like you're recommending if somebody is considering a, a retirement community, they should visit it a few times before they make a decision. Oh, they should visit it a lot. Most times when people visit it, they just talk to the marketing person or the salesperson and they, they get a tour and maybe they get a free lunch. But no, I would encourage them to also talk to residents, request to have a meal with residents and really talk to the residents maybe without the marketing or salesperson there and ask them for their frank feedback. How, how do you enjoy living here? What do you like? What do you don't like? You know, I, I would encourage them to request to meet with upper management to find out, you know, how long those people have been there, you know, and it's because that's something too that changes is that because the senior living industry is such a hot industry right now, lots of companies are jumping into it. And there's, you know, when you get into publicly held, profit motivated people, ownership can change hands quickly, all of a sudden the rules change, and then the, the community is not the community it was when you first moved in. Mm-hmm. You know, in a nonprofit, you're going to find that their decisions are more resident-driven and what the residents want to see happen in that community, whereas a for-profit community, decisions are more driven by investors and stockholders and what serves them better. Mm-hmm. But that's something that people don't really recognize at first glance. It's not something that you're going to really think about until you're living there and you see the changes affect your lifestyle. So I try and counsel people to, you know, be aware of these things as you're looking, you know, and also be aware of the differences between communities. Because, you know, one community might just be independent living. But if, especially couples, you know, if you move into a community that's just independent living, and then all of a sudden one spouse has a bad health crisis, and then their capabilities change, and if that place doesn't even offer any higher levels of care, then you're going to have to hit the search again and find another place or be separated across town because your levels of care are different. Some places just have independent living. Some have independent and assisted living. Some have assisted living and memory care. Some have independent living, assisted living, and memory care. And some, like the, the one that you know I work in, ha- has the whole scope, and that's called a Continuing Care Retirement Community. That's the acronym is a CCRC, which means you move in when you're fully independent, and then as your needs may change, which, I mean, l- let's be real, we have to look around us at the, what the cycle of life is. Needs are going to change. That's how it happens. You know, we all get older. So as the needs change, all the levels of care that you would ever need are there in that community, and you don't have to hit the street to find another place to live in the middle of a health crisis. This ends part one of our two-part interview with Michelle Watkins. Please share what's on your mind. Head to our website, www.olddogspodcast.com. We'd love to hear how you howl at the moon.